Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to On the Ball with Rick Buecher. Here's your host. Let's send it over to Rick Buecher. Rick Buecher. This is On the Ball on the United Wecast Network, and I am Rick Buecher. You can see me on FS1, hear me on Fox Sports Radio, and you can read me by ordering the memoir of Brian Grant and his battle with young onset Parkinson's called Rebound. Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick-and-mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram, at Rick Buecher. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA. And that is here. Now, I don't know how many of you watched the Hall of Fame induction ceremony on Saturday, but I have to tell you, I choked up more than once. And not that we ever need to grade induction speeches, but to me, Tim Duncan's was the one that struck the deepest emotional chord. I can only imagine how difficult it was emotionally for Vanessa Bryant to talk about her late husband Kobe in that setting, and I'm sure everything she said was from the heart. But there's just something lost when someone is clearly reading from a teleprompter. I'm in no way saying she did anything wrong by using one. Rudy Tomjanovich and Patrick Bauman's kids did as well, and I, I understand why they would. It's just that Duncan was so raw and honest. Clearly, if there was a teleprompter there, he wasn't paying attention to it. He took us from pacing in his room all day, thinking about being up at the podium and what he wanted to say, to how happy he'll be when former teammates Mano Ginobili and Tony Parker will be up there instead. He took us through his humble beginnings and how he wound up playing basketball at all. And I just... uh, I was just struck by uh, how personable it was. I've I've known that Tim, uh, and he and I ran into each other, I think it was just a year ago, and uh, (laughs) in spite of being a member of the media, he was very happy to see me, and, uh, you know, we just exchanged pleasantries, and and I've always known that there was that, that side to him, and he showed that in being inducted, the, the tremendous humility that he has uh, and having that coincide with being such a phenomenal player. 
is what made it special. And his, without going in elaborating, uh, the way he approached talking about Coach Greg Popovich, that Pop was going to be mad about at him for talking about him at all, uh, gave you a glimpse into what that relationship has always been and why it is so special. All right, so I just finished filling out my awards ballot, and while I could spend a podcast giving a detailed explanation of all my choices, I thought I'd go bigger picture and talk about the challenge of not allowing player and coach personalities cloud perspective when it comes to recognizing excellence or ability. It's a challenge because a player or coach's personality can certainly be a tangible plus, see Steph Curry, or a minus, see Kyrie Irving, when it comes to the success of a team and how that player leads or interacts with his teammates. So we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, Meanwhile, I'm still smiling at the reaction from Sixers fans to my podcast on Friday. I want to just touch upon this. Uh, podcast on Friday about the Oklahoma City Thunder taking the process next level in their tanking effort this season. Triggered doesn't begin to capture how upset they were that I said I was okay with what they're doing after years of expressing my disdain for what the 76ers did under Sam Hinkie. And for those who aren't clear or don't remember Sam designed teams specifically that won 19 18 and 10 games in consecutive seasons I'm not sure the losing would have ended there but we'll never know because Sam resigned at the end of that third season before anyone gets too excited about their record the following season which was 28 and 54 understand that that was still the fourth worst record in the league despite having a lot of the talent the previous three years of losing created. Joel Embiid was on the team, although he only played 31 games. Jaleel Okafor was there. Dario Saric was there. And Nerlens Noel was there. Don't begin to tell me those three years of losing were worth or solely responsible for where the Sixers are now either. Not when Sam took Michael Carter-Williams ahead of Dennis Schroeder, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Rudy Gobert. Not when Okafor, Saric, and Noel, along with Williams, have proved to be slightly above average talents or or less, and yet were all lottery picks. The losing designed specifically to get those players, or those type of players. Or not when Tobias Harris, bought on the free agent market, is currently their second leading scorer. And not when so much of their current roster has no connection to the process. Look, I suspect Sixers fans know, deep down, that the process didn't really work. But they're just too proud to admit they pledged allegiance to a concept that the league basically got tired of and aborted. Sixers fans being triggered, by the way, makes me smile. Not because I like getting a reaction out of fans. Or that that's my goal. But because... They clearly didn't listen to the podcast before reacting. If they had, they'd know that I'm not one to normally condone tanking, and I don't like that Luguentz Dort and Shea Gilgis-Alexander are having a year of their careers forfeited. 
Sixers fan was Sixers fans would also know that I'm making an allowance only because the Thunder just went through the brutal experience of having three franchise players leave or request request to leave, two of whom they drafted and developed. Kevin Durant and Russ Westbrook. They did everything in their power to provide a competitive team every year for those guys, and they still want it out. That's not something that the Philadelphia 76ers had to recover from. And I'll be of a different mind if the Thunder approach all of next season the same way they did the last two months of this one. Because the sin of the Sixers is not that they tanked, but that they did so for three seasons and acted as if the dividends of doing so was somehow a brilliant maneuver, then or now. It's been five years since the process was terminated, before it could be completed. Might Sam have built a championship team? Maybe. Would it have come to fruition this season? Maybe. We'll never know. All I can say is that this team right now is not the fruition of the process. And neither was last year's or the year before or any team since they started acquiring the Jimmy Butler's and Tobias Harris's and J.J. Reddick's because those guys didn't join the Sixers to play with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, which are, they are the, the, the remains of, the primary remains of the process. J.J. came because he could commute from Brooklyn and they paid him $23 million for one year to do it. Tobias was traded for and stayed because he was given the max. And Jimmy, of course, was acquired by trade and didn't stay to play with Embiid and Simmons. And as good as Embiid and Simmons are, it's the ancillary pieces around them that really make this team a title contender, which I would say they are legitimately this year. But without all those other pieces that had nothing, again, nothing to do with the process and nothing to do with the concept that Sam implemented. If we had a direct line between Nerlens Noel and Jaleel Okafor and Dario Saric and all the pieces, and you could say, okay, we got those guys. I mean, ideally, if we're really operating from the process then all those picks would be there contributing somehow, some way. No. Otherwise, why did you tank to get them? To flip them for what? For other players that are now contributing? You're going to have to show me those players that are a direct result of the losing that got you those guys in the lottery. By the way, before I forget, a listener with the handle... T. Good Times left a review in which he or she wished that listeners could submit topic ideas for consideration. I love that idea. For anyone who wants to submit an idea, there are three ways to do that. Hit me on Twitter or Instagram or email your topic ideas to buecherandfriends at gmail.com. I look forward to seeing what all of you come up with. All right, so today's main topic is fresh in my mind because of a debate we had on FS1 today about what Steph Curry has proved this season. Emmanuel Acho insinuated that Steph Curry has proved he's underrated because he's not mentioned as an all-time top 10 player 
and yet holds a lot of the distinctions that several players, Will Chamberlain, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Michael Jordan, share. One of them this year being winning a scoring title over the age of 32, I believe it was. Something that Michael Jordan did. I think my man E has fallen prey to what I mentioned at the top. Personality clouding perspective. Steph's personality clouding E's perspective. And he's by no means alone. Not by a long shot. But I have no other explanation for all the shouting that E and others have put up that Steph Curry is clearly, clearly this season's MVP. Now, I have no problem saying Steph is as genuinely nice and personable as any NBA player I've ever met. There are others, but I'm not going to list them at the risk of leaving someone out. The list would be pretty long. What distinguishes Steph is that almost everyone on the list has not enjoyed the level of success that Steph has. Then again, how many players have? I bring all this up because I finished filling out my awards ballot earlier today and had to make the hard decision of leaving Steph off my MVP list. If the award asked for six names, he might have been on there, but it only allowed for five. Mine were... Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, Chris Paul, and Luka Doncic. The sixth spot would have been a toss-up between Steph and Damian Lillard, since he's provided a lot of the intangibles for the Blazers that Steph has for the Warriors. And there's some analytics, there's some, some, some elements that would lean in Damian's direction. So it's not a slam dunk that Steph would be number six. Now, I wouldn't have a problem with anyone who made a case for Steph being in the conversation or on the ballot among the five. That's reasonable. It's the immediate leaping to Steph should be the MVP, no question. And anybody who isn't thinking that way must be out of their mind. That's what convinces me there's a lot of emotion and adoration coloring their view. Now, I think I understand why so many fans and some members of the Bay Area media think Steph is doing something this season that no one else is doing and quite quite possibly no one has ever done. Because for someone 6'3 and 185 pounds, they might be right. Although Kyrie Irving at 6'2 and 195 is pretty spectacular as well. He just finished a 50-40-90 season. And I know he's got... More talent around him, uh, certainly. Um, I'm not debating that. But still, uh, what he does individually is impressive. The But the, look, the degree of difficulty on shots that Steph routinely makes is particularly insane. The distance from which he buries shots with a blink-of-the-eye release seems like a magic trick. The only player I can think of who uses angles and change of direction and pace as well as he does is Kyrie. And when it comes to maintenance, Steph requires almost none, and Kyrie is Kardashian high. But is the incredible work and precision that Steph requires to get off his shots, largely because he's 6'3 and 185 pounds, deserving of extra credit, or that the team around him stumbled out of the gate because I reject this idea that he has a trash team around him 
Everybody is focused on how many points Draymond Green is averaging, seven, and how much he's making, which is a lot. But overlooking that he's averaging a career high in assists, or that he's averaging damn near two, two steals and a block shot per 36 minutes. Green isn't what he was at the height of his powers. I'm not making that argument. But he's still pretty damn good. And he carries the responsibility of organizing them defensively and finding ways to get Steph open looks. I don't know how many players could read Steph and put the ball in the right place for him or anticipate where he's going better than Draymond. Then there's Andrew Wiggins, former number one pick, who didn't wash out in Minnesota because he wasn't talented, but because he was expected to be a franchise cornerstone without anyone ever showing him what that entailed. Now, he's defending and playing off of the Curry-Dre combo and making the most of his athleticism and his opportunities. He's shooting career highs in field goal and three-point percentage. Kevon Looney and Kent Bazemore, solid pros. Two of their better defenders. Everyone knew Jordan Poole was an outstanding shooter, but he fell to late in the first round because he had a reputation of being a bit of a head case. Kelly Oubre Jr. is crazy talented. Wait till you see what he gets paid next year. He's also just a bit crazy. So there's been a common thing here uh, among some of the talent with the Warriors is that not always in their right mind. Wiggins, Poole, Oubre Jr., now, here's the, here's the other kicker. The Warriors have the fifth-highest-ranked defense in the league. I believe it's impossible for a player to be a great defender if he's not part of a great team defense. But it's safe to say that Steph is the worst defender among the starting five. The other four, and I would say the large part of this team, carries the weight of them being a good defensive team. And being a good defensive team is a part of their success this year. Steph carries the load offensively, but he's getting help, a lot of help, at the other end. He and Andrew Wiggins, by the way, have the same defensive rating, and which I don't quite understand because Wiggins routinely defends the opponent's biggest perimeter threat and has, by my observation, done a, a really decent job, or at least one far better than I expected from him. Uh, same with Kelly Oubre Jr., he was wild at the beginning, but really his energy and his effort at defensive end has been more than noticeable. It has been admirable. And yet he has a worse uh, defensive plus minus than Steph. And this is why I don't fully trust analytics to tell the story. Ubre and Wiggins carry a far heavier defensive load than Steph. So shouldn't that be reflected in the numbers? And if there's no formula to account for that, then how do we offer the numbers as a factual representation of what is actually going on? I don't mind somebody who references them, but when you tell me that this is why this player is this and this player is this and you just trot out numbers, eh, I need a little bit more than that. Because what my eyes tell me in watching almost every Warriors game, my eyes tell me that Oubre and Wiggins have contributed far more at the defensive end than Steph has. And understandably, because of the offensive load that Steph has had to carry. But the offense ranked in the 20s. Defense ranked 5th. 
What do you think is contributing more to their success? I'll leave that for you to answer. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Now, Steph in the Warriors culture calmed a host of head cases. I mentioned them, which has allowed their talent to shine. But don't think for a minute that all those guys I mentioned aren't above average NBA players in talent. So does showing them the right way to play make Steph an MVP? Maybe. But it's hard to put a finger on just how much credit he deserves for that. After all, Steph is a bit of a wild child when it comes to playing himself. In the shots that he takes, the risks that he takes, it's reflected in his turnovers. Which leaves it to Steve Kerr to put up the guardrails for everybody. So I don't know how much we can look to Steph. I think his spirit and his faith and his generosity and how he plays with his teammates, I think all of those are big pluses coming from the best player on the team. No question about it. But in terms of attention to detail and approaching the game a certain way, I don't know how much Steph is the guy that's saying, let's keep this buttoned up. So it it comes down to this. When I look at overall individual production and overall team success, there's no basis for putting Steph ahead of Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, or Doncic. Steph scores and does so at an amazing rate with an amazing degree of difficulty. As I said, I don't, I don't think he's just the best shooter we've ever seen. He's the best contested shot maker that we've seen. But Giannis is the best two-way player in the game right now, which is why he's my MVP. Jokic does everything for the Nuggets offense. Embiid is the best two-way big man. Doncic carries more responsibility as both go-to scorer and playmaker than Steph, and take a hard look at that roster without Kristaps Porzingis, who only played 43 games. I'm not sure the Warriors would swap, and I've always felt Porzingis is a unicorn in that there are times he seems to be a figment of the imagination on the court. The Mavs closed the season on a 12-4 run, and Kristaps missed 10 of those games, and the Mavs were 7-3 without him. Translation, they didn't miss a beat when he wasn't there. Of course, All of the players on my MVP list are genetic freaks, more or less, and have a distinct advantage over Steph from a physical standpoint. Doncic is 6'7 and 230, and he's a point guard. Giannis and Jokic are listed as 6'11, and Embiid is 7 feet. Do we penalize them for having a natural advantage that Steph does not? That they're able to do things without having to shoot from 45 feet with a hand in their face because they're almost 7 feet tall or because at 6'7", generally, you're going to be able to 
Doncic is going to be able to bull his way into the paint or work his way into the paint. And because of that size and length, the passing lanes are a little wider for him than they would be for Steph. I just don't see how that would be fair. As I've said before, I'm not here to convince you that I'm right about all this. My goal, more than anything, is to share my perspective. What goes into assessing player and team performances and why I see the game the way I do. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Please rate and review the show. As I said, T Good Times put in a, a word, made a suggestion, and I'm all for it. Uh, a number of you have weighed in, and I appreciate both the ratings and the reviews. My sponsors do too. So we're on the cusp of the play-in games and all that comes from that. This is a great time to be doing a daily podcast, which is why I am doing it. So I hope you're enjoying it. Please continue to subscribe and download, and I'll be here. In the meantime, as always, thanks for listening. It's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.